her undergraduate degree at Ryerson. However, uh, when uh, she decided to do her master's, she kind of went back to the University of Calgary. So we kind of did that long distance thing for uh, two and a half years there. And we kind of came to an agreement that every four to six months, one, one of us would fly to the other. So she would kind of come to Toronto or I would go to Calgary. And on my first trip out to Calgary, it was the summertime and I decided, you know what, I have never been out west. I had never been to the Rockies. So what's the natural thing to do? The tourist thing to do is take me hiking. I want to go see the mountains. I want to go see what the hype is all about. You keep telling me how beautiful it is. So let me go see. And so she arranged this hiking trip, uh, but she's not very outdoorsy, so she decided to invite along uh, Uncle Rich. Uncle Rich is a friend uh, from church who is kind of a retired, uh, not kind of, he was a missionary in China, but he's retired, uh, he was retired, and at the time he must have been in his late 80s, we can't remember exactly, but he was at least 86 at the time. Uh, and so we go to pick up Uncle Rich in the morning uh, on our way down to Banff, uh, to Howling Peak, and Uncle Rich comes out, to, uh, trundles out to the car, uh, and he's a pretty fit guy. He's got his hiking boots, and he's got his hiking sticks, hiking poles, and he's got all this gear. He's got that backpack with the weird, like, bendy straw that you can drink water out of your backpack. It's really cool. And here I am in my jeans and basketball shoes, and I'm like, eh, I'm fine. I'm fine. I've been involved in scouting all my life. It's just a little hike. It's okay, I'm gonna make it up this mountain, who cares? So we're rolling up to the mountains, and I see the mountains, and in my head I'm like, eh, still, just mountains. We're at the base of the mountain, who cares? I'm gonna be fine, I'm not gonna be outdone by this 85-year-old, 86-year-old, uh, I'm gonna be fine. Not halfway up the mountain, I am gasping for air. I am like dying on the mountain, like, Rich, I can't, Uncle Rich, I can't do this. Right, so he pulls out a five-hour energy drink, and he gives me his five-hour energy. And so I make it almost all the way up to the mountain, and almost at the peak, there's this final section where you're kind of, uh, it's called scramble or whatever, and you're on your all, all kind of on your hands and knees, and you've got to kind of climb to the top, and Uncle Rich just clambers on up there, and I'm like, no way, I can't do it. But I end, I'm not going to be outdone by this guy, especially in front of my girlfriend. There is no way I'm going to be outdone by this 86-year-old. So I climb up the mountain, and I finally get up there, and it is worth the hype. So if you ever get out to Banff, please do take that hike, but take your hiking poles, take it seriously. Don't do it in your basketball shoes and jeans. I seriously considered taking my jeans off and just going like in like madras all the way up the mountain. I didn't end up doing that. But anyway, he taught me implicitly three lessons that day. First, do not un uh, underestimate Uncle Rich. That guy is a mountain goat. Don't, uncle, uh, don't underestimate him. Second, when somebody says out west that we're going to go for a hike, what they mean is that we're going to go to this outdoor Stairmaster and torture ourselves on it for fun. That's the second lesson. And third, if you want to go up, you've got to step up. If you want to go up, you've got to step up. And this, this morning, our passage comes from Genesis 22, and we are going to learn much the same lesson from Abraham, who is about to sacrifice his son Isaac. That's right, I did say that Abraham might sacrifice his son Isaac. If you want to go up, you have to step up. Now, if you are uh, familiar with this story, I'm sure you've heard it a thousand times, but for those of you who might not know, I'll catch you up to speed really quickly. 
Abraham is a guy we meet back in Genesis 12 when God makes a promise or a covenant, a set of promises with Abraham. He says a bunch of things, who, by the way, Abraham is kind of well on in his years. He and his wife, Sarah, are way beyond childbearing age. But and they have no children, uh, but God promises them a bunch of things. If you go to this land, I will show you. Uh, I will give you not only much land, but also I will bless you, and I will make you prosperous, and I will give you many descendants. Well, Abraham says, I don't have any descendants. So uh, God says, I will give you a son, uh, and uh, he, through that son, you will be blessed. So we fast forward all the way to Genesis 22, this is kind of, so Genesis 12 is the beginning of uh, Abraham's journey. Genesis 22 is all the way at the end. And indeed, God has given Abraham and Sarah a son, and they have named him Isaac. Now, uh, we pick the story up here, and I will read from uh, verses 1 through 3 in the beginning of the story. It says, after these things, so all the story, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took uh, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. So, uh, essentially what happens in this story is God says to Abraham, you are going to sacrifice your son Isaac. Just do it. Uh, what, ha- what ends up happening in the rest of the story is they go to the mountain, uh, they, and Abraham prepares to sacrifice. The, Abraham and his son Isaac, they go up the mountain, and he prepares to, to sacrifice his son Isaac. He binds him up, he lays him on the altar, and he raises his knife, and as he's about to plunge the knife in his son Isaac, God sends a messenger and says, stop, 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 stop. Nope, never mind, cancel, ex nay on the human sacrifice, we're not going to do it. And, but because you have obeyed me, here is a substitutionary ram. Uh, God provides a ram, kind of caught in the thicket. And so Abraham sacrifices the ram instead, and God reaffirms those promises that he makes to Abraham. All the way back in Genesis 12, he reaffirms the promises of descendants and of uh, land and of prosperity. And he says that all the nations of the earth shall be blessed through you. So, the big question we have about this passage is why does God ask for something as crazy as human sacrifice? It would seem detestable, in fact, immoral for God to ask of such a thing, and indeed, he does outlaw this kind of practice in Deuteronomy 18, Leviticus 18, and all over the Old Testament. He says that you should not sacrifice any humans, yet God asks for this. In this moment. Further to this, it seems as though Abraham doesn't really have a problem with it. And if we look culturally around Abraham's time, a lot of cultures and religions were involved in human sacrifice. So perhaps Abraham was really going to sacrifice his son Isaac. This huge question uh, looms over the passage. Why does God ask 
for human sacrifice. And there are three explanations for this. Uh, they're not exclusive of one another. They kind of build on top of one another. So the first reason, remember, all the religions around them were kind of engaged in this practice of human sacrifice. They would sacrifice children to ensure future prosperity, to ensure future harvests. If there was a time of drought, they would sacrifice a child so that there would be um, uh, rain in the land, whatever this is. And God was seeking to show that there is a better way to sacrifice, that you should stop human sacrifice, but instead substitute something else. And God provides this in the form of a ram. He demonstrates the model that we call substitutionary atonement, where one might substitute for another as uh, kind of uh, the satisfaction for a sacrifice, kind of like what Jesus does for us. Which takes us to our second point. This sacrifice foreshadows the sacrifice that Jesus makes on the cross for us many, many centuries later. It is the foreshadowing of Jesus where the Father sends his Son to be sacrificed for the sins of the world. And it is our responsibility to accept that we are sinners, to be believe that Jesus Christ has died for our sins, and to see choose to follow him daily. Third, it is important that uh, in verse 1, the narrator says, after these things, God tested Abraham. So you know, as the reader or as the audience, that immediately God never intends for Abraham to actually sacrifice his son Isaac. This is not God's intention. It is simply a test. Now, this test indeed is a very odd one. It stretches the parameters of what God's tests normally are, but we see that God commonly tests his people all throughout the Old Testament. But this test is significant to Abraham because, uh, because of what Isaac represents. Isaac represents that promise that Abraham shall have descendants. Are you looking for me, Jen? Oh, sorry. Uh, so this, uh, this idea is that we might step up or grow up in order to step up. It, or in order to go up, we have to step up. Anyway, uh, so those three reasons why human sacrifice is never the intention, uh, the most important being that the narrator says immediately God tested Abraham. So you know at no point is there going to be any human sacrifice. So this leaves us with our second question, and really it is the more important question. The question is, what is the relationship between God's testing, our obedience, and his blessing? It would seem like God only blesses us when we are obedient or something like that, or that there is some kind of link. So what is this test. And God commonly tests his people. Uh, Exodus 6, 16, Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 8, and so on and so forth. In fact, even Jesus himself is tested. Why does God test us so often? Doesn't God already know what's in my heart? Doesn't he already know that I trust him? Doesn't he already know that I have faith? Why does God test me? Why does God send challenging things into my life in order that I might exercise my faith? 
Doesn't he know? Might I posit, posit it to you like this? Mark's, uh, or Shelly, we wished her happy birthday this morning. Uh, Mark is uh, her husband. What if Mark just kind of wrote down in his phone, uh, Shelly's birthday is today, and then in the morning, there he gets a notification, Shelly's birthday is today. That's nice. Look, I know, Shelly, that your birthday is today. Perfect. I know. You know. I know. Is that good enough? We're happy with that? Of course not. Shelly would be so, so upset. That'd be terrible. Mark is definitely in the doghouse tonight. In the same way, God is not simply pleased with, yeah, he knows, she knows, she knows that I am God, he knows that I am God, it's all good. No, it honors God when we demonstrate and act out our faith, in the same way like it honors Shelley when Mark celebrates her birthday, when he gets the flowers, when he takes her out for the nice dinner, whatever it is, Shelley knows that Mark loves her. But that isn't quite enough. It's important that we honor, and God deserves that honor. Second, it it provides us, uh, or it provides God an opportunity to test whether or not we are syncretic in our faith. What is syncretic? Syncretic means that we mix kind of our beliefs. We mix our values. We mix our priorities. Now, commonly in the Old Testament and in Abraham's time, that syncretism would kind of look like they would blend religious practices. So they would kind of be like, oh, okay, well, following Yahweh, the God of the Bible, works sometimes, I'll do this sometimes. And then that seems to be really hard, so I'm going to run over here to the Baals, or I'm going to run over here to El, the d- different God, or I'm going to run over there to another God. Whichever God seems to be a little bit easier to follow, I'm going to blend all those practices in a, in a blender, and I'm going to come out with a positive solution for myself. How that looks for us today, however, is oftentimes we either fight a challenge, or we uh, flee from a challenge, if you will. So God presents a test to us, and instead of trusting in God's timing, we might try to do things by ourselves. You know, uh, we don't quite have uh, the finances uh, to be able to give right now, it feels like. So we might try to get other jobs, or we might try to secure other uh, alternative finances, or we might try to withhold our, our, our generosity. Or perhaps uh, God is asking us to be uh, patient in waiting for a relationship, a romantic relationship, if you are uh, in that dating phase. And God doesn't seem to be bringing along a boyfriend or a girlfriend. And we might run to uh, this person who seems to be good enough. Ah, they're a good person. I could, I could kind of uh, get along with this person. It's good enough. Or we might run to uh, uh, the comfort of different uh, friends or family members, whatever it is. But we don't run to God. We might substitute God for all sorts of things. Distractions with hobbies, distractions with uh, people, distractions with substances, whatever it is. We fill that hole in our heart with something else other than God. And so in that same way, we kind of mix our priorities. We mix our values. And we do this very kind of um, uh, unconsciously. We kind of do it um, just because we think, "Ah, I got to do something, right? In that same way, When God is testing us, we need to uh, step up in order to go up. Furthermore, uh, this notice what he says uh, here. God says to Abraham when he goes uh, tells him to or tells him to sacrifice his son. Son in verse two he says, "Take your son Isaac, 
whom you love and go to the land of Moriah. You hear those words? How do those words sound familiar? We hear those words once again in Mark, Mark 1.11, at the baptism of Jesus. Remember, this is my son whom I love. And the people around would immediately think, I've heard those words before. I heard those words back when I read the story or heard the story of Abraham and Isaac and that painful sacrifice that Abraham had to take. That's, those words find their echo again uh, in the New Testament. Furthermore, if we really take, take notice of the details of this passage, it says in verse 3, so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took so on, so on, so on, so on and so forth. The key here is rose early in the morning. Oftentimes in Old Testament narration, we don't get kind of what the character is thinking. The narrator won't reveal to us, and he was super determined, and he, was, uh, he got up and he went and did it. Uh, th there isn't even some kind of agonizing uh, conversation between Abraham and God where he goes like, why, why God, please don't do this, or some conversation between Abraham and Sarah where they kind of go, really, Sarah goes, really, God told you to do this. Are you sure that God told you to kill our son? No, there isn't any form of conversation. Abraham simply gets up early and goes. And this often in Old Testament uh, narration is kind of a uh, euphemism for better, lack of a better term, uh, for how uh, determined a character was. Anytime you see uh, a character get up early and go do something, it means that they were very determined to do so. They were very committed to the action they were up, they are about to take. So Abraham gets up early and go, uh, goes and does it. Now, as, we remember, uh, as I've summarized the story for you earlier, as we remember, Abraham ends up going up to the mountain and he's about to sacrifice his son Isaac and uh, God then provides. Um, so what, do we, what, what are we supposed to do with all this information? What am I asking you to do? First, remember those words, your son, your only son, whom you love. It's almost as if God stabs him with the your son, your only son twists it and whom you love, twist it even more. Because God knows how difficult and emotionally trying this challenge is. God knows how hard this test is, and he's reminding Abraham, I know how hard this task is that I am asking you to do, but I am doing it, or I am asking you of it anyway. And it reminds us that in James 1, 2-4, that testing is hard. If I could get James 1, 2-4 on the screen there. It says, James 1, 2 to 4, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. In other words, in order to go up in our faith, we have to step up. Tests and challenges, when God gives us tests and challenges, they are hard because they're designed to be hard. God indeed asks us of hard things when he says to be generous with your time, with your talents, with your treasure. He knows that you are limited on time. He knows that you are limited on your treasure. He knows. He knows. 
Yet he asks you of it anyway, so that you might exercise your faith. When he is asking you to share the gospel with a family member or with a friend, he knows that that's hard. He knows absolutely that that is very difficult for you, but that is a test for you to step up in your faith. When he's asking you to forgive somebody, he knows that that's hard. He knows when he's asking you not to engage in a sinful relationship anymore, he knows that that is hard. He knows. He's asking you to step up in your faith. God doesn't simply set a bar super low, ask you to jump over it one time and go, okay, he's grown in his faith. No, he sets a little bit higher next time and a little bit higher and a little bit higher because he knows that you can clear the bar with his help because he is going to provide second point, second reason why we are, second thing we're supposed to learn from this, that God is faithful to provide. In Philippians 4.19, it says, my God is faithful to provide or supply your every need. Not everything that you want, because you and I both know that we want a whole lot of things, right? I want a new car. I want a new house. I want a bigger bank account. Well, God is faithful to provide all that we need. When he challenges us to step up, he is faithful to provide everything that, he, everything that we need. Just like when Abraham steps up with Isaac, his son, and goes to sacrifice him, even though it's hard, God provides a way. Hebrews 11 says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Now, I've always been confused by this passage in Hebrews 11. Like, how does the writer of Hebrews, all the way in the New Testament, know the thoughts of Abraham all the way in the Old Testament? Well, it is in one singular word in the narrative. When he goes and gets to the, ba uh, the base of the mountain there, um, to sacrifice his son, he stops and turns to his two young men and he says to them, my son and I are going to go up the mountain and we shall return to you. That is the key. We will return. Not I will return. He could simply have said, I will return. He says, he specifies, we will return. By faith, Abraham knew that this is a test and God will provide. Somehow, some way, God is going to make a way. And when he challenges us to step up in faith, God is going to make a way. Third, the third thing that we, uh, we, we can learn from this passage is that God's promises are sure. Romans 9, 6 through 8 say, says, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But uh, Abraham, uh, or sorry, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise who are counted as offspring. God kept his promise. Even though Abraham never saw the fulfillment of God's promise, God always keeps his promise. And what, this, uh, what Paul is saying here is that we 
are the spiritual descendants of Abraham. Through, remember we said in Genesis 12 that through Abraham, through Abraham's descendants, the whole world shall be blessed. And now we have Christ, and the whole world is indeed blessed. So through Abraham, God keeps his promise through Christ, and so we too are counted as the descendants, spiritual descendants of Abraham. And in the same way, he is faithful to keep his promises to you today. When he is asking you to dedicate more of your time in the morning to devotional time, he knows that asking, an extra, asking you to get up an extra 30 minutes early is hard. Right? When that alarm bell goes off, you want to snooze it. He knows. But he says that I will meet you and change you through my word. He promises it and he will keep that promise. When he promises that he will hear your prayers, he will keep that promise. When he promises to sanctify you, he keeps that promise. When we trust in God, he keeps his promises. He kept his promises for Abraham and Isaac, and he will keep his promises to you. So, what is it that God is challenging you to this morning? It might be forgiveness. It might be sharing the gospel. It might be uh, more time in prayer. It might be reading your Bible. It might be going to life group. It might be uh, inviting somebody to Alpha. I don't know what it is, but I know it's hard for you. I know, because I drag my feet on the things that are hard for me too. I drag my feet when it comes to sharing the gospel. I drag my feet when it comes to uh, forgiveness. I drag my feet when it comes to having dedicated prayer time. We do all the same things, yet God is asking us to step up in our faith in order to go up. So this morning, consider and ask the Holy Spirit what it is that God is asking you to step up in, in order that we might go up. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you keep your promises, that you are faithful to provide all that we need. And Lord, we thank you for those testing and challenging times because they indeed grow our faith. So Lord, change us. Help us to be more and more like you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.